Welcome to the Mother Nurture Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrea Rosario, functional neurologist and doctor of chiropractic, specializing in functional medicine, caring for individuals and families with chronic conditions for over 15 years. Hi there, Andrea Rosario here, and I'm super excited to bring someone very special to you today to talk about a really important aspect of healing that really got me going deep into myself and really far into my healing process. So I would like to present to you today, Jessica Flanagan. Hi, Jessica. Hi, how are you? I'm doing super well. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here with you and very thankful that you agreed to join me. And I want to tell you all about Jessica, a little bit about her. Um, She is a clinical nutritionist, and she's very science-based, and I always tell her she's smarter than most doctors I know. So um, in the whole nutritional world, she's amazing, but she brings this unique combination of deep healing with nutrition and with health in general and it's it's a beautiful combination and through that she is a new a noetic did I say that correctly Jessica noetic practitioner and she basically helps people through their journey of healing whether it be through from chronic illness or all the other little micro traumas and traumas and stories we all collect about ourselves throughout our lives and helps them kind of find the deep long-lasting healing. So um, Jessica is a personal friend of mine. She's a brilliant colleague, and she is my personal um, deep healing guru. So again, Jessica, thanks so much for for coming and and agreeing to talk with me today. What? um, Thank you so much. Those are very touching words. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy you're here and you deserve all those words and more. You know, before I met you, I definitely did not know what a noetic practitioner is. Do you mind filling everybody in on that? So a noetic field practitioner is, um, I really look at the morphogenic field or the field that surrounds people and what kind of distortions blockages that they might have. uh, And I help them transform them. Uh, or dissolve them. Um, And so our morphogenic field is often filled with these blocks or distortions that are misunderstandings or false beliefs about who somebody is. And those misunderstandings or false belief turns out can affect our relationships, how we view abundance, how we receive abundance, um, our health, the physiology that we operate, even down to the genetics that we use or operate out of. And so I really help people understand what it is that they believe and why, and then how to engage their heart to dissolve or transform those blockages that are really just misunderstandings about themselves so that they can be more integrated and resilient. Beautiful. You know, one thing I learned, I, y'all, I went through this course with Jessica and it was a six month course that she had created. Um, it's, it was called, I believe, spiritual coaching for practitioners. If I'm not mistaken, that was the title of it. Yep. And it started with, with us and we needed to kind of work on ourselves because you have to walk your walk before, you know, you talk. So that is 
how I really got deeply engaged with Jessica. And one of the biggest skills I learned from her is part of the reason I brought her here today. And that was that we all as women tend to be pretty judgy of ourselves. Sometimes we're pretty judgy of others too, but we definitely tend to be judgy of ourselves. We should ourselves to death, um, you know, and are not gentle with ourselves in many different ways. So this month, the month before it turns into autumn and traditional Chinese medicine is considered earth month and earth is kind of like the mothering, right? And And one of the things that Jessica taught me that was so profound in my healing is how to go back to where I started to believe things about myself and kind of tap into myself at that age and sort of emotionally mother myself. And it taught me, it broke, it broke open this whole wide world because I know I can mother I can mother like a mother, right? (laughs) And so it broke up in this whole world of healing that I use constantly now. And I just want to thank you so much for bringing that to me. And I was hoping that we could share that since this is the Mothering Earth Month um, with everybody because I, you know, some of the things that we go through or, or we, we, if we were watching our children go through them, we would be so gentle and so kind with them and really help them through it. And we just don't do that with ourselves. So um, I basically wanted to ask you, how do you see our harshness, our harshness with ourselves manifest in people with their healing or their lack thereof? Well, we usually look at the world through the story that we've made up about ourselves which has a lot of illusion. And from my perspective, when we take that and we kind of turn on it, uh, we go the opposite way. What you and I are really talking about is that, well, what would happen if we stopped, if we stopped looking at the world through our story of who we think we are and instead looked at the world through who we really are. And one of the ways that we can do that is we can uh, look at this concept of loving the parts inside of us that hurt is really healing. But as women, how, what is a way that we can all recognize we do that? Well, we easily love the people around us that are hurting and that's healing, right? And so I always use this story of, If you want to know how to do it inside yourself, look at how we do it with the people we love. For instance, anyone who's either babysat a child or is a mother of a child or an aunt or a cousin or anything, a teacher that think about a child who is learning how to ride a bike. So that's a really cool skill, but learning how to ride your bike often has discomfort involved in it. Just like we're used as like a metaphor, just like being a human in the world. We get our hearts broken or hurt. You know, sometimes we fail, we question ourselves. But what if we were to consider this story of you're taking care of a child and they fall off their bike? Well, we know that they have to get back on that bike and that they actually have to be the ones who have to learn how to get the pedals going and find their balance. Well, when a child comes running in the house and they're hurt, all they want to do is to be reassured. So here's this loving part, loving our loving the parts that hurt is healing. They just want a home. They want to be, they want to know that even though they're scared that they're going to be okay. So they sit on our lap 
And what do we do? We say, I'm so sorry you fell down. I know it's, it's a little scary, but you're going to be okay. Just come sit in my lap until you feel okay. And we hold a loving space for the children until their nervous systems re-regulate. And then as soon as their nervous systems re-regulate, they say, okay, I'm good now. I'm going to go back out and get back out on that bike. If we were to look at that metaphor of how do we do that for ourselves, that's all what we're talking about of this mothering that you're, you're speaking of this during this self-mothering month. Beautiful. I clearly cannot say it as beautifully as you can, but that was perfect. The greatest metaphor ever. I love that. And I'm going to totally steal it. Hope you don't mind. (laughs) Yes. Perfect. Okay. So, but also say too, that this concept of self-mothering, when we look at that, what we're doing is we're giving the loving space for that child to have their emotion completely go through its life cycle. They fall off the bike, they get scared. They question if they have what it takes to be a bike rider. You know, is it, is the pain too much that I skin my knee that I can't do it again? So all of those things is we're setting a place uh, where these children can complete the life cycle of the emotion. When we have ourselves this kind of these internal traumas, it's usually because we haven't let our emotions have a full life cycle. We've been told that those emotions aren't okay, or we've questioned our own loving and if it's safe to share it with the world. Those, so I think those are important of what does this self-mothering include? It includes going back and allowing ourselves to have the time and the nurturing to be able to complete anything that wasn't completed because life was too chaotic. Our parents weren't capable of doing it or the trauma was so big that we, we skipped over it. Yes, that was, um, I hope you don't mind me saying this. Um, one of the things that, that I continually do, and it may sound funny. I mean, if you really haven't delved into this work, but is go back when I realize, oh gosh, where is that coming from? I know intellectually, that this belief that I, that I have held about myself, like, you know, that I'm unlikable was one that I had to work on when I was with you. Right. That was something that I held on from when I was a kid and I actually had to figure out, and now I still find these little ones every once in a while, like, Oh, where did that come from? And then, you know, the first instance that I remember that, that experience, and then I would have to go and kind of be with myself at that age in my own soul and in my own spirit. And there's more to it because you really walk people through the process of that, that I'm clearly not capable of, (laughs) of um, leading people through at this moment, but, but basically, you know, going back to those spots, it does help you integrate um, how you felt at that moment, help you get the loving that you didn't get at that moment or didn't, you know, whether you got it in the way that you didn't need it or, want it. Woo we this is why they pay you the big bucks, Jessica. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, doing your best to give to you at that at that age what you didn't have. And that was constantly a tool that I use now. So absolutely because yeah, you bring up a good thing which a lot of people are like, well how do you actually do that? What is self mothering? What is self mothering? And I and it's it's it is the it's the presence it's not a doing thing. It's a being thing. Just like we are going to be with a child 
who is scared and frightened, we're not doing anything specific except for just holding them in a loving space. And so that's that thing that we're, the, the essence of self-mothering is, is it's not a requirement to do anything. It's a holding the space so that someone's nervous system re-regulates and we're allowing them to have that full uh, life cycle of a feeling and, uh, and just being present. That, that is the essence. And we can use our imagination, just like you were saying, you know, when you go back and you think about what does that self-mothering look like? Intention and presence are really the only things required. Yes, it's so simple. It is so simple. And I'm, I'm curious, do you find, I just did a podcast on the childhood experiences that put you in fight or flight mode and how um, that first year you're pretty much operating from your right brain only. And that's where you process emotions and subconscious thoughts and all of that. And, um, and your right brain helps regulate and down um, downregulate your fight or flight system, right? The sympathetic nervous system. And mm-hmm. so I was curious do you feel like most people's like deep seated beliefs about themselves start in that first five years of experiences? I think many of them do that it can be pre-verbal. It can be childhood. It can also be institutional or it can come down through uh, like a generational construct, you know, like the cultures that we live in that we sort of grow up in, you know, where for instance, women's role is to be at home. You know, and so that's a construct that we get from the very beginning. And so I do think that many of them happen when we're too young enough, or sorry, when we're too young to be able to ha- have that life cycle of having that emo- that feeling or that emotion have its own life cycle. And we're just trying to survive. And a lot of times we're with parents that are just trying to survive. And a lot of people are dysregulated. Uh, and so it just naturally happens in most people's lives just because of the setup of living in the human body and the human condition. So yeah, I I agree with you for sure. Yeah. The reason why I thought to ask that is because, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the being in the right brain and that regulating your fight or flight system, your Mm -hmm. right brain, I mean, there's more to it than that, but it has a big role. Right. And so the reason it I, it brought me to that question is because I remember when I was going through healing with you that when I would hit on something like, Ooh, that was in my core, you know, it's like, Ooh, centered right here. I would, I would usually get kind of sweaty and shaky and a little, like maybe a little bit feeling dizzy or whatever. And I thought about, and those are kind of like autonomic responses. So I was, I was just randomly having to analyze because I'm super highly analytical, what was happening in those moments and why you have those physiological, like actual physical responses to, um, basically what I came up with is I wonder if that is reaching down deep in that like memory in the right, that subconscious memory in the right brain. And it's helping to integrate your right and left brain and integrate those memories And that does, because the right brain's role in your fight or flight response regulation, sort of then create this like autonomic response physically. Well, we don't have a lot of the tools and the resources when we're small. So for instance, uh, you know, what's like, we could use an example of maybe a divorce, you know, or um, maybe someone passes away when we're really young. So we don't have the tools and resources uh, to understand 
how we are, what our role is, or to maintain the resilience inside of ourselves. So what happens is when we have a challenging event, um, it, it challenges us. And then oftentimes in order when we're young and we don't have that support to say, actually, um, if you feel like you're unlovable, that's not true. Um, what happens is is children decide that in order to survive a big event. And then it becomes the truth of who they are and the basic self, um, in the curriculum of, uh, body physiology that I use, the basic self sits in the solar plexus. It's where the unconscious lives and it's in charge of the, uh, the body. And when we don't do anything to change that idea of like, oh, my mother passed away, I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life, or I can't count on love, or my parents divorced, and I caused it, and so I must be unlovable. Then what happens when we don't change it is it becomes the operating system of the basic self, which is in charge of the physiology. And then that, that, from my perspective, that's why people have such deeply rooted physical sensations, because the basic self is all about survival and safety. And so we oftentimes need to make up these things just to survive trauma, you know, or if someone is being physically or emotionally abused, oh, there must be something about me that is causing this abuse. That would be something appropriate for a five-year-old to think to themselves. And so when they don't get an intervention to restore that resilience, then the misunderstanding becomes an operating system and their very uh, way of surviving and surviving in their body then operates from that place, from that limited viewpoint that's not true. Yes. Okay. We go, we went about it from our specialties in two different ways, but that was fascinating. Thank you. And I, I totally appreciate and can understand what you're saying. I mean, I have the heads up of gone through your going, having gone through your course that I, you know, was able to marinate in it a little bit, but I, I definitely think that there's truth to that for sure. Felt it myself. So, um, okay. When someone has these beliefs about themselves that don't, that aren't true, how do you see, what are the most common ones and how do you see them tend to present themselves throughout adulthood or throughout the whole, whole rest of their lives? The biggest ones that I see are really about value and lovability. So I'm not lovable. I got made wrong. Uh, life is going to be hard for every, it's going to be hard for me, but not for everybody else. So it's usually about something related to if it's safe to be sharing who they really are with the world and people. Um, When I see it related to physical issues, for instance, people get uh, diagnosed with chronic disease. A lot of them are, I have to try hard to heal. I just got born with bad luck. Um, You know, I'm never going to, I'm always going to misunderstand things. And so there's it always is related to a disconnection about someone's worth, value, or lovability. Those are the ones that I tend to see the most. What was the second part of the question? Uh, how they how they tend to present in adulthood or 
A lot. Well, now I work with the people who have issues with uh, chronic illness or eating issues, which are very particular to women. So I see a lot of disordered eating, orthorexia and eating disorders. And, you know, so much of women, when we look at what the world is saying or what our culture is saying, um, you know, it's related to how we look how we present ourselves to the world and body issues. So I tend to see it either through straight up body issues, very dysfunctional relationships with food or chronic health issues that people can't seem to find meaning as they're going through it. Yes. And in, in practice, I see a lot of, um, a lot of people who tend to get, eating issues just from trying to heal their own illness, right? Because we do know nutrition is powerful, whether or not mainstream um, medical wants to admit that or not, we can heal a lot with eating. But a lot of the eating plans that are made for people that are struggling with chronic illness are very dogmatic and very harsh. And it's almost a good and bad, like, this is good, this is bad, you're bad, you messed up, you know, there's a lot of that kind of inner turmoil that goes on and it, it does create what, you know, is termed orthorexia, which isn't, it's, it's its own, I, it's probably been there forever, but you know, it's really big right now with, because of all the different diets on, on the fear of food that people develop. How do you know if a healing diet is right for you? Well, I'd say that um, it might be good to give context behind that, which is for instance, when you were, when we, if we were to go back to, I can't remember, was the belief that you said about you unlikable or unlovable? That was, mm-hmm. okay. So let's say, there's the one that I just see so often is there's something inside of me that's unlovable. So we have this belief that gets formed oftentimes in our childhood. And when we have a belief that says, I'm not lovable, then it's very hard to trust your intuition if you think you're unlovable, right? Because then there's a a piece there, which is, well, if I'm not lovable, then how can I understand if someone's really here to love me? How can I understand what this illness is here to provide me with? And so then these good, these uh, very strict eating uh, programs that we get caught into give us a sense of safety and security because it's very clearly defined that this is good and this is bad and good bad lists are very safe for people who feel like they can't trust their intuition because why do they can't trust their intuition they can't trust their intuition because they feel like they're unlovable deep down inside or they feel like they're getting punished by their circumstances And so it's a, it's a, it's a very um, kind of a complex way to look at it, but I'm finding that a lot of people come to these very restrictive diets because they're feel, they're not sure about how to manage the chronic illness and where their role of safety, security, and resilience is in the midst of having an illness that feels so dysregulating when really they can feel resilience in the midst of having an illness that is very dysregulating. So when I work with people, I walk them back and say, first of all, it actually doesn't matter what diet you choose. You can choose a restrictive diet. You can choose a non-restrictive diet. That's, that's of least importance. 
I want to know what is it that you believe about your value and why, because that has a downstream effect to your relationship with these really restrictive diets. So we go back and look at decades beforehand and why did you need to believe what you believe because of, you know, whatever happened in your life. That to me is incredibly mothering and self-mothering. If we were to come back to the seasons of our life, what season of your life do you feel like no one was there and why? And how can you go back and be with yourself during that season in a really deep nurturing way? Because there's really nobody as good as you to do the job is so true no matter the intention of your mothers and your well your parents whatever your guardians are um everybody is hurt in some way and everybody has wounds and everybody does do the best they can with what they know how but um part of part of i feel like breaking generational trajectories with health and wellness um is being the person that goes and does that work, right? And that's how you can be present yourself differently and be a better version of your true self for your own children and help them switch their trajectory from just continuing down the, the very wounded, wounded path. Well, we know from my perspective, when we join healing with the trauma and the judgment that happened from the trauma, then we heal. And I haven't found a more effective way to heal beyond that. And so when we're start looking at, you know, these restrictive diets and there's these good foods and bad foods, those are really just roadmaps to help us understand where it is that we started identifying with the strong feelings of something that happened in our life, which could be a diagnosis you know, which could be a job falling apart. It could be financial ruin. It could be a pandemic. So am I identifying with my feeling? And then what is my feeling trying to tell me? So we let our feelings talk to us when we're doing this deep self-mothering that you're talking about. Because what do, what do moms and mothers and, you know, what, when we look at the archetypal role of, of a mother, what are they doing? We're letting everything come present. Oh, honey, you had a bad day at school. Tell me about it. Oh, you fell off your bike and it was scary. Tell me about it. I'm right here. And so, but we don't often look at this in the role of healing, uh, deep healing. We, we don't let our feelings talk to us because our culture is incredibly preoccupied with high emotional IQs. You know, we want to have a high, women are required to have a high emotional IQ in our culture to be valuable. Can you go into that some more? Well, we are required to have it all together. We are required to do everything and not complain. We are required to not take any time off to take care of ourselves. We are required to take care of everyone else first before ourselves. We are required to look a certain way to have value. We're not, and so that those are all things where um, that's a that's equal to being um, um, uh, having a high IQ to be valuable to the world. And what we're talking about is an emotional IQ that's about compassion 
and it's empathy based. When we let our feelings talk to us, women don't have time to let their feelings talk to us because we're too busy taking care of the tribe. And we, when we look at what happens when women's nerve, when we start studying women's nervous systems, when there's a trauma, for instance, like a natural disaster in a culture that's been studied that show that women's roles are to go tend the tribe first. Women historically go make sure that all of the children are okay. Whether you're a mother or an aunt or a sister, if you're a female in a culture, that is the very first thing that you do. That's how you actually regulate. Men don't do that first. And that creates this identity where we have to have a high emotional IQ in order to be valuable. The other part, though, is, is that after women go and make sure the tribe is okay, they're the ones that when we look at like Neanderthals, they looked out with a baby strapped on their backs and they looked out at the field to see, are there any predators? What's the weather? Where are the men? Where, what's the food situation? They had to do multiple things at once. And when we look at how women handle um, traumatic events in our culture, besides doing all of those and carrying the babies and making sure everyone's okay, the next thing that they do is they go talk to other women to process and which is now known as uh, I, I was in a fender bender and I called my best friend because I needed somebody to talk to about it. They let their feelings talk to each other about in an internal way. We let our feelings talk to us. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. Yes. And it regulates the autonomic nervous system when we do that. Beautiful. So women in general, we don't have the village we used to. The best <laughs> we do right now is we call our best friend. But the part that is, is being neglected as a big tool for our healing and our regulation mm-hmm. is talking to ourselves and mothering ourselves and you know, asking ourselves what we need and listening to our own inner voice and our own like intuition too. Yes. Yeah. Because in that example, what's the first thing that women do when a disaster happens, they go and ask the children, are you okay? Are you safe? Do you have everything you need? You know, like if you thought we think about an earthquake, that's the first thing women do. And what we're talking about is if we were to take a step back and look at it metaphorically, where are the places inside of us that that didn't happen, that, that we didn't get that need fulfilled? What a wonderful gift we would give ourselves. Absolutely. Oh, I could cry. Yes, absolutely true. Feel that in my soul. Yeah. <sighs> thank you. And thanks for being part of my village. <laughs> so, so much. Um, okay. So what a lot of people, when they, I think a lot of women, when they ask themselves, what am I feeling? They almost can't feel it. Sometimes it's in their body and sometimes it's their emotion. It's some mm-hmm. sort of disassociation. Mm-hmm. What, what do you do about that? Do you have any tips? Yeah. The first thing I would say is if you're getting radio silence, when you do that, just intend to stay curious about it curiosity will often, you know, we might argue about the timing and the timeline, like, well, gosh, darn it. I've been curious about this feeling 
<laughs> for a whole year and nothing's coming up. So if you've been curious about it for a year and nothing has presented itself, then work with somebody who understands how to navigate this. So this is what I do for a living. I help people understand it. But the other thing is, is uh, trust the timing and and give yourself the time to explore it a little bit and be curious, be open to the ways that you might get feedback about it. So I'd say curiosity is incredibly, it's effective because it's a neutral place. When you're curious, you're not for or against and being for or against something will keep us trapped. Being curious keeps us in the student mind and that gets us a lot of support you know, uh, from the world that might be giving us feedback. Wonderful. So you mentioned that that's, this is what you do for a living, which you're obviously brilliant at, and I, you're making a big ripple, positive ripple in this world, Jessica, with your work. So I would love to let people know where they could find you and maybe what you have coming up and, you know, anything that can tap them into your, your brilliance and help them in their next step. Well, somebody could just email me. So it's Jessica at the loving diet.com. Uh, I have a website, which is jessicaflanagan.com. And then I'm on Instagram and someone can message me on Instagram and that's the loving diet. Um, And then I have my transformational eating program, which is an eight week program. It's part support group and part curriculum of learning exactly what we were just talking about. Uh, And it really walks people through how to develop a different relationship to food and eating, especially with disordered eating, which I feel like is at an all time high right now. Absolutely. Thank you. I love doing it. Yeah. I know you're it's it's clearly your calling in life you just radiate love and um you know I didn't mention at the beginning but you also have a book out that's called the loving diet and it's this combination this beautiful unique combination that Jessica gives where she brings her nutritional brilliance but focuses a lot on loving yourself and self-compassion and these type of things so you know that would be another wonderful resource but tapping directly into the source right now is a is a great way to go to go forward so and I just want to thank you too for the work you're bringing forward uh, because it is something that is so incredibly valuable and the way that you weave in your care and loving for all of your patients I know this to be true because I have people tell me about profound work that they've been doing. So thank you so much for having these vulnerable conversations with people on your podcast and congratulations. Thank you so much, Jessica. And congratulations on all your new projects and all the, like I said, beautiful ripples you've created in this world. I really so thank you for taking your time out of your day and coming and joining me and and sharing your wisdom. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you so much. It was good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too. Bye. Take good care. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. If you'd like more information on Jessica Flanagan, you can find her at her website, jessicaflanagan.com. That's Jessica, F-L-A-N-I-G-A-N.com. You can also find her on Instagram at The Loving Diet. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, I would love to have you join me inside my Fight or Flight to Vibrant Light Facebook group. I'm going to be doing some very special trainings there over the next two weeks. You can find the link to join the group in the show notes or search Fight or Flight to Vibrant Light in Facebook groups. You're not going to want to miss this. Until next week, my friends. Bye.